I mean, is it even possible to work in any field without any degree or job experience? So this is what we're going to be talking about exactly today. I'm going to be interviewing Ethan Francis, who is a 17-year-old developer relations advocate at Chainstack. We'll talk about whether it's possible to find a job in Crypto Web 3 without having a degree and without having much of the prior experience. I'm Ramon, founder of Crypto Jobs List, the leading website for job search in crypto and Web 3 industries. We're doing these interviews from time to time with some of the most interesting people in this industry to find out what it's like to be working in this space, whether you're technical, non-technical, whether you have education, you have many years of experience, there is some piece of content and advice that you will find relevant here. All right, let's get started. Ethan, thank you so much for joining. How are you doing today? I'm doing good. I'm uh, excited for our conversation today. I spent some time yesterday, of course, preparing for this. And I think you know, there's a lot of questions to go over about DevRel and about starting a career at a young age, of course. I'm not the only one in Web3 that is, uh, you know, uh, full-time at a young age because Web3 is a really interesting space with that type of opportunity. Um, mm -hmm. So I think we have a, a lot of good topics to go over today. Amazing. So first of all, do a quick intro about yourself. Like, I think one of the highlight, a lot of people are kind of excited when someone is super young and uh, working full-time in an industry. I think, like, it's just a challenge overall to find a job when you're young because everyone thinks, like, oh, you need 10 years of experience. How can I get experience without experience? All these memes circulating around the internet. But I personally think that it's not true. You know, if there is a will, there is a way. Uh, but at least that, that's my perception. Ethan, tell us about where you at. How did you start professionally, so to say? Yeah, I mean, you know, it's been a, a crazy past 12 months in terms of getting started with the space and getting into a career. Um, so I guess I can start back kind of when I first started. Um, so I've been in the crypto space for about three years at this point. I first joined back in about 2020. Um, I was 15 at that time, so I wasn't even legally allowed to work yet. I just uh, was originally attracted by the altcoin run that was happening around that time, right? So this was kind of when the pandemic hit and the markets were doing pretty well, at least the crypto markets. It was probably six months before the big Bitcoin bull run. So I was attracted by that. And very quickly after I went into the space with the intention of like trading and stuff like that, the underlying block technology of blockchain, of course, was super interesting to me at least. So I wanted to understand the development side of it. I'd already been super interested in things like, you know, general application development. And I wanted to eventually go to college for software engineering. It's a little bit different today. But at that point I was, um, super excited about blockchain. I was like, uh, it became an obsession of mine almost. So, you know, I was 15, 2020, started getting into this space. And then going into 2021, um, I really focused on the development side of things. So I taught myself, uh, retaught myself essentially, Python, JavaScript, and then associated with that, you know, Web3 PY, Web3 JS, foundational um, frameworks and libraries associated with Web3. Then later on in 2021, I would at that point been spending full time just enjoying the Web3 industry. And of course that was a time in which it was much more active than it is today. It was very fast moving, it was super exciting at that time. So, you know, I spent all day in different communities and talking to different people and engaging in different ways. And what I found through doing that was that I kind of identified a problem at that time. You know, this was 2021, I probably just turned 16 or maybe almost turned 16. And the problem that I identified was that communities felt disconnected from Web3 itself, right? So I was talking in Discord and I was talking in Telegram and you know, on Twitter and stuff. And I felt like, you know, we use these Web2 platforms to communicate Web3 ideas. And I saw that as sort of an issue that, you know, I identified at that time. So I thought it would be a good idea to take what I what I had learned up to that point, which was about six, seven months of learning and apply it to a project that could solve this problem that I had identified. And that was a project that I created called uh, Amity DeFi. The point of this project was to essentially within Discord provide a MetaMask-like experience to users. So you could send crypto, operate a wallet, basically adds Web3 functionality to Discord. Um, and that's a big project for somebody who is 16 and 
you know, can barely loop through a list in Python, but um, it was uh, a really great experience because I took that time, 2021, I took a year to build this application. I learned a lot. I learned uh, basically every corner of Web3 development. I learned exactly how blockchain architecture works. And I did this from probably June, 2021 to June, 2022 is how long I spent developing this application. And then I took the knowledge that I learned from creating Amity, Amity DeFi. Um, over that one year span. At that point, I had been working um, at a tire shop. So I got my first shop when I turned 16 at wow. a local tire shop where I was um, changing tires on cars and I was like fixing holes in tires and stuff. That's what my parents want me to do. And I decided that I spent all this time, you know, building these applications and creating this knowledge in this space. You know, why not try and just go for it? Just see what I can do. See if I can maybe get an internship or some sort of job. So, you know, this was May, June, 2022. And I applied to hundreds of jobs and I was just like throwing everything out there and saying maybe something can happen. I wasn't really enjoying changing tires too much. I wanted to create things and be a part of Web3. Um, and that's when I had the very lucky opportunity of onboarding the Chainstack. So Chainstack was actually the first Web3 company that I interviewed with. And they were very happy to give me the opportunity to onboard. And that was June of 2022 when I first joined Chainstack. Took those six months uh, for the rest of 2022 and learned a lot. I mean, it the amount of transformation that happened in those six months of just being ingrained in the industry and like networking with people and understanding DevRel skills was insane. And then 2023 came along and I had the opportunity to move and lead the developer relations team at Chainstack. And I took that and I've been doing that for the past six months. It's been a, a pretty crazy journey so far. Amazing. Uh, you mentioned something very interesting in the beginning. You said that initially you wanted to learn software engineering and, and go to college for software engineering. And then you said something like, but that changed. <laughs> and then you moved on with your with, with your points. But uh, so what changed? I, th I thought it was very interesting. A lot of people dream about becoming software engineers. Yeah. So, you know, before I discovered Web3, of course, you know, every kid wants to follow the path of like, you know, you finish high school and you go to college and get a degree and then you get a nice job at Google or you know, Facebook or something. And that, that's what I wanted to do. You know, I wanted to kind of follow that path and eventually work at a fang company or, you know, create a startup or something and do Web 2 software engineering. And that was my plan for a long time. That's kind of the, the path that I was going down. You know, once I found Web 3, of course, the software engineering part was really interesting. And for a long time, I didn't even really know what DevRel was until I eventually started with it in 2022. So even throughout my path in Web 3 for those first few years, software engineering was still my primary goal, right? I wanted to... You know, maybe I got into Web3 software engineering or whatever. But it wasn't until I started in DevRel and started creating content and being more community focused and doing both the technical stuff, right? So still creating applications and creating technical content, but also being able to network with people and focus on communication. That I realized that software engineering wasn't something that effectively used the skill set that I've created for myself, right? Um, because DevRel, and we'll get into it later, but DevRel is a really interesting role because it uses technical talent. So software engineering, right? Being able to navigate and convey technical concepts with communication skills and community skills and content creation and stuff like this. Like I know you guys did a video interview with Patrick Collins recently and he's a great example yep. of that, of you know doing content in relation to like development, stuff like that. And I realized that that's where my passion was more so than pure software engineering, right? Being able to pair software engineering with something that I was passionate about, which was creating content and engaging with people directly. I realized that that's something that I wanted to do a lot more than software engineering. Since I realized that, since I first started DevRel back in 2022, that's where I've been focusing most of my efforts. And my plan is to continue in DevRel because I really enjoy this role. And I think it is a really fantastic and unique way to utilize a diverse set of skills. Awesome. What would you say your definition of DevRel is? What is developer relations? You know, it's it's a really hard question. And when I was thinking about it, I was like, you know, you could ask a hundred DevRels throughout Web 2 and Web 3 and ask them all the same question. Ask them all, what is DevRel? 
and you'll probably get a different answer from everybody because developer relations is a really unique position because it can be applied to pretty much any product, anything that has any relation with developers at all. DevRel fits in somewhere. And there's a lot of different types of companies that interact with developers, right? Whether you're selling something directly to developers like Chainstack does, or whether you are a company like Avalanche, right? Which isn't selling to developers, but is creating a platform for developers to build things on, or, you know, whatever it may be. DevRel applies to a hugely diverse set of organizations. So what DevRel actually looks like changes a lot depending on the type of organization. But, you know, throughout my time, when I first joined Chainstack back in 2022, DevRel at Chainstack was a sales role, essentially. It was go reach out to people, sell a product, hit these certain numbers, and it was like marketing sales exclusively. And then since then, we've transitioned a lot into being a more balanced role that includes a lot more technical stuff and content creation, stuff like this. You know, from that experience I've gained, usually, and of course, I've talked to a lot of dev roles as well and seen a lot of people move into different types of dev roles. But generally, the way that I define it is, I guess there's going to be two components I'll talk about here. Um, and if I talk too much, feel free to stop me and I can... Uh, let's go, let's go. So there's going to be two components of what I'm going to talk about. Number one, I'm going to talk about the parts of DevRel, so the components that make up DevRel. There's two. And then after that, I'll talk about the practical implementation of DevRel. So first of all, it's my belief that DevRel is primarily made up of two components. Touch on this briefly, but number one is that DevRel is made up of, the first component is one of three things. When you look at the word developer relations, this is in reference to relations. And this will depend on the organization. So the first component of DevRel will either be marketing, communications, or business development. It can sometimes be all three of these. It can be just one of them. It could be two of them. It depends on the organization. At Chainstack, it's a little bit of marketing and business development. At a protocol, it might be more communications and business development. Somewhere it might be exclusively marketing. Other places it might be exclusively communications. Or somewhere it might be all three of these things, right? The first component is one of those three things, marketing, communications, or business development. The second component isn't as to interpretation. It's very constant through all DevRels, which is the developer part of the word. Developer relations, it's the technical side. Development, right? Having technical aptitude, being able to to convey technical concepts. You know, you can look at the developer relations word and, and each word in that title has a meaning to what DevRel is. So relations is one of those three components. Developer is just technical stuff. Now, what this means in actual practical implementation is that the point of developer relations is to engage with developers. And it's, it's very simple. That's, if I could say it in three words, that would be what it is. So engage with developers, it's to build high quality relationships with developers. So to find people that you either want to use your product or are already using your product or your platform or whatever you're creating, or to empower people that um, are currently being onboarded into your product, you know, whatever it may be, the goal of a DevRel is to achieve something that traditional marketing, business development, or communications usually fail at, which is effective developer engagement. And the reason they fail at these things is because they don't understand the developer journey. They don't understand developer concepts. They don't understand the technical side of things, which is fine because they're, they're not expected to, but that's where DevRel comes in. DevRel comes in to be a middle ground for those things, to have somebody that understands technical side, that understands the developer communities, that can apply the foundations and the expectations of things like marketing, business development, communications, et cetera, with the general goal of engaging with developers, empowering developers, and doing this through the means of content creation. So you have people like Patrick Collins who creates these 30-hour video tutorials that are awesome that uh, developers can leverage to learn really complicated technologies. You know, where you have people doing Twitter spaces or video interviews like these or whatever it may, may be to engage with developers and support developers. This is the primary purpose of DevRel, in my opinion, at least. To me, it sounds like it's really very cross-disciplinary. I can't help but wonder, what are some KPIs that you guys, maybe like some KPIs that you guys set for yourself within Chainstack? And what do you think some KPIs that DevRels in general should measure themselves against? Because I feel it's like, what is it like? Are you measuring how many developers install your SDK? Are you measuring the traffic on site? I think it's it can be very confusing to a lot of people. How should effective DevRel be measured? 
it's another really big problem and, and thing to solve. You know, we spent once I, I moved on to develop relations lead here at Chainstack. We spent a long time figuring the answer to that question, right? Figuring out what mm-hmm. that is. So we did a lot of work in that regard. Um, we went through a lot of iterations. You know, since I joined Chainstack originally, we tried a lot of different methods of KPIs and, and expectations stuff like this. And eventually, what we found is that for Chainstack, at least, and of course, it's going to vary widely depending on the organization is that most organizations have one of two ways of measuring KPIs, right? Number one is through um, effort, right? So doing mm-hmm. like not looking at results, just looking at effort. So these are things like, you know, do this amount of content, this amount of Twitter spaces, or write this amount of technical documentation, talk to this many developers, or do this many talks a week or whatever it may be, right? These are some base KPIs that measure effort. And most dev roles, as you'll see, will have some sort of effort-based KPI, right? A lot of them will say, oh, I need to produce two pieces of content a week, or I need to create two, two Twitter threads or do host uh, three Twitter spaces or whatever it may be, right? These are usually pretty standard, but they don't usually guarantee results, right? And it's a very narrow site to look at KPIs because the big value of dev for organizations, and of course it depends, but it usually lies somewhere between onboarding developers and creating value in that sector. So the second way to KPI DevRels is usually through value creation. So measuring directly how much value they've created as a DevRel. And of course, it's another hard thing because it's like, well, if the market pumps and 100,000 developers come into the space, then, well, you didn't do anything to... That's not a, a result of your value. That's just a result of the market. Same way if 100,000 developers leave the market, then it's like, well... You can't, you don't really have control over that. So that was a big problem with us. And we were trying to figure out, you know, how do we measure KPIs that don't reflect the value being brought by a DevRel and not external factors like market movements and stuff like this. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of complicated to explain, but with Chainstack, we've, we came up with a system of measuring developer activity, pairing that with, um, for Chainstack, of course, because we are a um, high performance, um, affordable Web3 infrastructure provider, right? So we provide services to, to developers like RPC nodes and subgraphs, and et cetera. We measured developer signups per part. So we assign a DevRel to a protocol. You know, maybe if you're onboarding a DevRel to Chainstack, we say you you'll do Binance Smart Chain, right? You'll focus on that. Focus on develop uh, engaging with developers as part of that chain. And we'll look at developer activity on Binance, how that's been scaling with the market, and from these numbers, we'll do some kind of clever calculations and come up with an impact that you had. So we'll say you had a six percent impact to our developer signups to this protocol, or mm-hmm. you had this many developer signups approximately that you dro- drove through your content and stuff like this. So those are the two lanes of, of KPIs that we focus on. And I think most organizations, um, if they don't right now, they probably will end up moving there. It's number one, measuring effort, right? So for me, it's usually um, content, Twitter spaces, stuff like that. And number two, measuring results. Because on one hand, you can measure effort and have things like, you know, do Twitter spaces, do content, do hackathons, workshops, whatever. But, you know, there's a lot of things that DevRels do that are outside of those things, like those direct developer engagements, like just participating in the community, you know, being active on Twitter, networking with people. And these things are harder to KPI, so you cover everything else with the KPI of the results. Mm-hmm. So that's when we say, oh, we want 5% a month impact on our signups from you, or we want this many developers that you onboard. Or if you're a protocol, maybe it's, you know, we want this many people to start using our SDK or whatever it may be, right? These are usually KPIs that, that I recommend and that I usually see. Uh, most DevRels adopting. Now that we have our KPIs set, how does one actually become good at, at being a DevRel? It's uh, it's another hard question. Of course, you know, throughout my my year of DevRel, it's a question that I've been trying to answer myself. You know, how do how do we get at this? Um, you know, when I first joined DevRel, I was uh, very much in a, a learning state of my career, so I was focused on understanding the role and understanding like you know where I'm at and how all this fits together. But what I've learned over the past year, and we're actually coming up on about 13 months now of DevRel for me, full-time DevRel, 10 hours a day. What I've learned is that usually, number one, before you can move into DevRel and focus on like 
optimizing skill set. Number one, of course, you need to be confident in the two sectors that I mentioned earlier. So before we even start with DevRel, before you can start being good at DevRel, you need to make sure that you are confident in your ability to communicate, to create content, to do things like Twitter spaces, to engage directly with developers. That skill set needs to be honed in on first and foremost before anything else as a foundation. Number two is that you need to be confident in your technical skill set. Right? You need to be confident in your ability to create applications, to understand technical concepts, to understand new technology. And once you have these two sort of hemispheres, once you're confident in skills within these two groups, right, that's when you can start optimizing your DevRel, your DevRel position. You know, that's when you start focusing on specific things like one-on-one -on -one engagement. And I tell this to everybody, but like as a DevRel, beyond the base things like creating content, Twitter space, stuff like this, the best thing you can do is directly engaging with developers, understanding how they think, understanding what they want from you, what they want from the organization that you represent, and implementing that. Right? If people really enjoy when you create content about using a specific library that your protocol provides, then focus on that. Or if people really like when you create 32-hour Foundry video tutorials, <laughs> then focus on that, right? And you know, I think most of the best DevRels that we see in the space are the best DevRels because they focus on one vertical that they're really good at and they thrive in that area, right? And they do this because they listen to people, they engage with people, they network with people, and they understand what people want from them and they apply that to themselves. And this is what makes DevRels really effective, right? Of course, this is, it's developer relations, you're building relationships, and a lot of people don't understand that. It's it really at its foundation, it's talking to people and listening to them and taking that into account and applying that to yourself. So like, again, I, I mean, I don't want to talk about Patrick Collins too much, but I think he's another good example of, <laughs> um, you know, he, he listened to people and he saw, you know, his first big video tutorial, that was what, it was like 36 hour or something like that. People like yeah. that and he understands that. And he says, well, this is something that works, so I'm going to lean into that. I'm going to do more of this. You know, we have people like Nader, right? This is another very famous DevRel where he's really great at community building and engaging with people and building relationships directly. And he's, uh, you know, f leaned into that. I think as a DevRel, to elevate yourself from just somebody who's good at technical understanding and content creation, to elevate yourself onto a level where you can now be, you know, uh, a good DevRel, I guess, if, if that's the term you want to use, um, it's to find a niche that works for you, right? Find a vertical of DevRel that you enjoy, that you're passionate about, right? If that's content creation, if that's Twitter spaces, if that's community engagement, whatever it may be, and focus on honing your skills in that area. Right? And of course, this is after you've created the foundational DevRel skills that I mentioned earlier. Um, and once you have this, and once you focus on that, the rest of your skills will elevate with you. Right, And then you'll get to a point where you are really good at one thing, um, and everybody knows you because it's one thing, and you're also really good at a bunch of other things. So you can lean into those if you want. But you know, when I think of a good DevRel, that's always what I think of. Right, Somebody who excels in one area. So if you're already a DevRel, then that's what I'd recommend that you do. Focus on one area. If you're not a DevRel, then I'd really recommend to start working on those things. Start building these foundational skills, right, that are part of DevRel, right, the technical side, the communication side. And then once you're there, start networking with people, start understanding what they want from you, start understanding what they enjoy from you when you, what type of content they like, and lean into that and build your skills in the area that people communicate to you that they find valuable. Do you feel there are any benefits of being young and having that as your first job being in DevRel or does it make no difference at all? Maybe it does, maybe it doesn't. What do you, what do you think? I mean, you know, I think DevRel is a really interesting role because it almost transcends age, if that makes sense. Like I've, I've worked with DevRels that are younger than me even. Like I know like oh, wow. 17-year-old DevRel sounds wow. like the youngest in the space, but you know, I work with people that are 16, even 15 in the space that are working in DevRel internships, especially on like Solana. I'm going to tell oh, wow. a bunch of guys that are, are younger than me um, that are working in DevRel. 
and I've also worked with people that are 20, even 30 years old, uh, older than I am, right? Which is insane. I mean, the range of DevRels is insane, right? The fact that I can be working with somebody that's 56 years old and then turn around and work with somebody that's 15 years old and they're working in the same job function. Mm -hmm. I think it's a really special part of DevRel, right? DevRel, and this is true of Web3 in general, and we might get into this more later, but generally DevRel doesn't care about who you are intrinsically, whatever age you have, it doesn't matter where you come from, what country you're from, whatever, what languages you speak. Uh, DevRel and Web3 in general cares more about the value that you bring. If you can prove that you can bring value to the community and to your organization, then you can do DevRel. It's that simple, right? Um, proving that you are competent at understanding certain concepts and understanding the community, understanding developers, and then in the same breath, proving that you can bring value in those areas. This is how you can be a good DevRel. And I see a lot of young people um, of course, including myself that lean into this because it's a, a, an easy thing to get into, right? Being able to start creating that content. And it's fun, right? It's, it's fun to create content, mm -hmm. engage with people and build relationships. Um, so I see a lot of people get into it and it's a really fantastic path. Um, and like I said, you know, there's a, a lot of a lot of people even younger than me, which is hard to believe in, in Web3, but that's just what, what Web3 enables as a as a community, right? It's uh, It doesn't care, you know, a part of this, the, um, the topic here was like a degree, right? So like, even if you're not, 17 years old and or you're not 50 years old and you're somewhere in the middle and let's say you don't have a big education it's the same idea there right you don't need to have a master's degree or a bachelor's degree or any like high level formal education to start in devrel because it really is is as simple as proving that you know what you're talking about right you know these concepts and that through the concepts that you've learned and the skills that you've learned you can drive value to an organization if you can prove that um, then you can do DevRel. What What is that path of for someone from joining from no experience to full time or like low experience? You, I mean, you did mention once again that you know degree is not really required, and I think it's uh, I think a lot of people accept that. But uh, I think still a lot of companies would prefer having some experience or some set of experiences. And I think. I mean, I think it's reasonable for a lot of companies, especially smaller size organizations. They are hiring aggressively. They cannot afford people making mistakes within that team. So they, they really want someone with at least like a few years or maybe like a college or so, so like this like blue stamp of approval, perhaps. What do you feel, what are those steps that people of maybe your generation are able to take to be able to have a few projects on their own, under their belt before they even start applying? Or how can they like persuade the company, the hiring manager to, to accept them? Yeah, I mean, it's... Uh... It's another interesting thing, and of course, I got very lucky with Chainstack, and that you know they were the, the first Web three company that I interviewed with, and that was after probably two hundred job applications. So it's like when you're if you have low experience, especially if you're younger, don't expect to get a full time position at least very quickly. It takes a lot of time, mm -hmm. it takes a lot of you know just like consistency. But generally, you know, the advice that I give people is that number one, before before anything, you need to make sure that. And like I mentioned this a few times, make sure that you have the skill set to start. So don't think about necessarily applying for jobs unless you know things like foundational programming languages, make sure that you understand fully like Java, JavaScript, Python, stuff like this. Uh, make sure that you understand Web3, of course. Once you're confident in your skill set, basically, like once you feel it's in a good place, once you feel that you're you, you're in a place with your skill set where you can drive value, right? That's when you can start being proactive in your career. And this isn't, you know, it's never a guarantee. It just takes consistency and, and being very motivated. The best shot that you can get, right, whether you're my age or older or whatever, is that number one, start building a project. And, you know, I have people message me all the time. Like they, they ask me, you know, how do I start a career in Web3? What path should I take? I always tell them to start a project, right? 
Find something mm. that you're passionate about. Find a problem that you're passionate about. So I'm sure if you mm. use Web3 regularly, there's something that you've identified that doesn't sit right with you, right? Like I was talking to somebody the other day, he messaged me and he found a problem that he felt like there should be some refundability component in us, like NFT pre-sales because he thought that that would prevent scams. Like that's a problem that you can identify, right? And that's what he's building now. That's how you build a career. That's how you start building a career by building something that you're passionate about, right? Don't build something just because you want a project under your belt or just because you want experience because then you won't really learn, right? You won't, you won't build something that you care about. It's much more effective to build things that you're passionate about building. So find that problem that resonates with you within Web3 and start solving mm -hmm. it, right? Whether that solution is an application or it's even just like a big piece of technical writing or whatever it may be, right? Or a project, maybe your solution is that there's not enough subgraph content in Web3. And then you wanna start a project of releasing one piece of subgraph content a day. Or if it's something more technical, like creating an application, whatever it may be, start a project, right? Whether it's development or otherwise and go through with it. And it should come out of passion for the project that you're doing. It shouldn't be a just to get experience. And once you've done this for long enough, once you've created a project that you're passionate about and that you feel strongly about and that proves that you have skills, again, like like I mentioned, if you can prove that you know what you're talking about, that you've spent time doing these things in this space, then you're good to go basically. So you know, once you've spent time building this out, create a project that works for you. That's when you can start applying for jobs if you want. But again, don't have high expectations for that because a lot of the time, you know, who knows what can happen. Sometimes maybe you'll get a call back on the first supply. Uh, maybe it'll take 500 applications before you get there. But you know, either way, it's important to be as proactive as possible. What that means is that as you're building this project, once you finish building the project, network as much as you possibly can. Be as active as you can, right? Show up in the community every day engage with people on Twitter, message people, say hello, right? Ask people questions, get on calls with people just to learn about them. You know, start building these relationships, build this network for yourself. Because if you start applying for jobs with zero network, right? Then it's gonna be difficult. But if you apply for jobs with a hundred people backing you that are people within the industry, names within the industry that you've spent time creating these relationships with, um, then getting a job will be significantly easier, right? Most of the people that I've talked with, people that are younger than me a lot of time, the reason they have jobs and that they're DevRels a lot of the time is because of relationships that they built for themselves, right? Because they've reached out to somebody and asked them a question or even just asked to do DevRel for their company. Or and they, they've done this in tandem with proving value through projects and through content, through things that they built. So those are the lanes that you can go through to get a career, right? It's mm -hmm. the number one, building things, uh, creating a skill set for yourself, providing value to the community on something that you feel passionate about. On the, on the other hand, networking with people constantly, being proactive and generating opportunities for yourself. Don't wait for an opportunity to come up, right? Reach out to people, apply for things, you know, do whatever it takes, I guess, to um, to kind of get to the position where you want and be motivated to do so because if you're not, then it'll be much more difficult. But really the number one thing is to find something in the space that you're passionate about. So then mm -hmm. at that point, whether you get a job permit or not, it doesn't matter because you've built something and you've done something that you're, you're proud of. And that's really what matters at the end of the day. Yeah, I think there is a lot of good advice here. I personally was thinking the most about, yeah, finding something that you're really passionate about and just working on that project. I mean, you don't, you, you, no one should have a very high expectations that they, the project will become the next like billion dollar, uh, you know, thing It's most likely to fail. But I think everyone was, when they're just getting started, they, everyone knows they, oh, I need skills, but learning skills, just like just learning some programming language, learning how to write. It's very, feels a little bit empty. Like what people, it's very hard. But if you have a project that you're really passionate about, you will move mountains. You'll learn anything. Just, just just to achieve that, just to make sure, just to build that thing that you're trying to build or that community or software, you will learn that language. You will learn how to communicate to people. You will realize that marketing is such a such an important part and how difficult it is. Oh, it can be difficult. Yes, yeah, so I think it's like, like a mini MBA without spending hundreds of thousands of dollars on MBA school. Anyway, before we move into more career-related advice and questions, I have a few more questions about DevRel specifically. What would you say is the difference between DevRel and Web2 and Web3? 
I talked about a lot of Web 2 DevRels and Web 3 DevRels, and I think really the difference is the type of developers that you're engaging with. Of course, the core of DevRel is engaging with developers. So the, and I'm sure most people in, in here are aware, the culture difference, especially in developers from Web 2 to Web 3, is huge. You know, I've attended conferences, I've gone to Eat Denver, and I've gone to these different places. And uh, Web3 developers are a much different audience to engage with than, than um, Web2 developers, right? Mm -hmm. It requires more of this one-on-one -on -one engagement. It requires more community interaction. You need to be more dedicated to creating content and doing Twitter spaces. You need to be more personable a lot of the time. You know, I see a lot of uh, Web2 DevRels and their jobs look way different than Web3 DevRels. But I think it's good. I, I prefer the Web3 DevRel usually because it's a lot more personal with developers. You're creating genuine relationships because that's what a lot of people want in Web3. I think it's a great part of Web3 is that it's very community focused. And you can't say the same thing about Web2 because Web2 is a huge corporate enterprise thing. So I see Web3 DevRel as far less corporate, a lot more personal. Um, so, you know, if you're a Web2 DevRel right now and you want to get into Web3 DevRel, then really I think the number one thing to do is spend time ingraining yourself in the community. That's the best way you can figure out how developers think because it really is a lot different than Web2. The ways that they build things, the tools that they use, how they do it, their thought processes with these things. So spending time in the community, right? I mean, you know, five hours a day, eight hours a day, how much time you want to dedicate to it on Twitter in Discord, on Twitter spaces, listening to people and, and understanding them. This is how you how you make that transition because really the main difference is culture, thought processes, and stuff like that. Um, as well as, of course, the tech side. The tech side is wildly different, right? Blockchain technology is much different than creating an HTML front end. I mean, you know, it's it's um, a completely different beast. So, you know, I see a lot of Web2 people and I talked with one, I did a similar space with um, a guy probably seven or eight months ago and he came directly from Facebook from Meta to Web3, to a Web3 development company. And he was a developer, he wasn't a DevRel, but uh, I talked to him and I was like, you know, what what do you think about Web3? And he was like, it's way different. He wasn't expecting to be that different. And, you know, even for, you know, I've been in Web3 for three years now. Every day I'm learning something new. I'm meeting new people. I'm learning more about the space and more about how everything functions. It's, it's never a, uh, like I put this in my thread that I posted a while ago. What I usually say is that Web3 has no experts. There's no experts in Web3 because there's too much to learn. There's too much happening. Nobody can be 100% knowledgeable all the time, which is why it's important to spend as much time as you can during that transition from Web2 to Web3, whether it's in DevRel or whether it's in general software development or product development or whatever it may be. Spending time understanding the community, understanding the tech, uh, these are the two main components. And if you can understand these, then you'll have a very easy time making that, that transition with these um, these two components in mind. What would you say is the, you know, right now we're in a bear market and uh, I think the reality of Crypto Web 3 is very correlated to price of Bitcoin, ETH, overall sentiment, SEC suing everyone, everyone suing SEC, hopefully. A lot, I think like a lot of developers and a lot of people just go out from the, from the industry, from the space and no one wants to build anything. Some people still want to build things. Uh, but I think the morale overall, if you compare it to peak of bull market is, is much lower. How would you rate the current state of Web3 like from a developer perspective? Yeah, I mean, you know, I mentioned this briefly in the beginning, but unfortunately, Web3 is in a much less exciting state right now compared <laughs> to a year and a half ago. I mean, a year and a half ago, it was millions of dollars flowing into the space. And you know, now VC funding is at an all-time low. Jobs aren't moving as quickly. Um, the space isn't moving as fast, which I don't think is a bad thing. I actually, uh, I'm of the opinion that the type of market and ecosystem that we're in right now is a like once in a lifetime opportunity for developers and for people that want to build a career in Web3. It's the same way with like investing ideology, right? When you're investing in something, when you're buying a stock, right? You don't buy when that stock has gone up eight times, yep. right? 800%. You buy when it's down, right? This is a just general investing. Um, I see 
spending time building a career and building applications in the Web3 industry, I see that the same way. I think that now when we're in this time of less activity and less money and lower prices and you know there's not as much activity um, in terms of developers and stuff like this, I think that's the perfect time to build. It's an opportunity that you don't want to miss for yourself, right? Because now, if you take the time to build now, like we can just talk about developers first. Mm-hmm. If you take the time to build applications now and you build something that, again, you're passionate about and that you think solves a real problem within the industry, then whenever the bull run comes, whenever that may be, maybe it's next year, maybe it's in two years, maybe it's in five years. I mean, you know, who really knows at this point? But whenever that happens at some point, you'll have a product that you're passionate about that you've spent this time developing and honing in on and improving that will be ready for this next wave of adoption. And you don't want to get stuck when that adoption hits you don't want to get stuck building your product because by the time you've built it, it's going to die down. We're going to be in another winter. That's just how things happen. You're like, no, I wish that I found Web3 and that I went into Web3 back in like 2018, 2019. Mm. Because if I did, I'd be in a much different position right now. I'd be, you know, I would have built stuff and I would, uh, we'd be having a different conversation right now. But instead, you know, I joined just as everything started hitting. So I was there during that, the big activity flash. And, you know, now, of course, I have the opportunity to start building that career and you know building applications and stuff um, and i think this is an opportunity that shouldn't be passed up by developers and by people that want to get into the space professionally because you know really when you're in a bull run of course it'll be easier to get a job and it'll be easier to do these different things but if you start a bull run in a uh, market up cycle with a product already built out or with skills that you need right to to land a job and to build a career um, you will do 10 times better than somebody that starts when that bull run hits so what you're doing now in this time, I see it as sort of investing in yourself, right? You're betting on yourself that you'll succeed when this happens. Um, and I think that's it's incredibly important that developers and that anybody that wants to get into the space that maybe isn't already fully ingrained um, takes the opportunity that's presented right now um, and takes advantage of that and learns things, learns skills, starts creating applications that they're passionate about, that they think solve problems. Um, that way they're prepared for whenever this next bull run comes. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's, of course, a big part of, of why I spend um, all the time in Web3 that I do, because I think that you know, whenever this happens, we'll start to see a huge wave of, of innovation and a lot of people adopting current products, um, which is where you'll see the people that succeed most in the next bull run will be the people that are building today. I think starting building during the peak of the bull market is definitely a, bit, a little bit too late. Uh, you're up for a big crash. Uh, this uh, Just a personal story, this reminds me a lot about Myself, I discovered Bitcoin back in 20, 2014, uh, and um, I think I just like bought it in right before the big crash. I think it was Mt. Gox crash, and I kind of like lost interest. I was busy with my other projects, with my other startups, and uh, only in 2017 I joined full time again. And looking back, I realized, damn, that that winter from 2014 till 2017, that bear market was like the best time to. Back in the day, that was Reddit. Where was it at? Uh, I wish I was like building during the time, spending my time to read on, uh, you know, developing some new tech, payment gateways, new next exchange. Uh, yeah, so I, I highly agree with this advice. Is bear bear market is the best time to learn, build, and you know, prepare yourself for the run during the bull market. Yeah, okay, moving up to career, like a few more questions specifically about a career search. How would you say people who are young, maybe just general advice, not necessarily DevRel specific, how someone should kind of gain their skills or approach finding a, a career, a job in Web3 and crypto? Uh, is it through courses on YouTube? Should they read? Should they just try to look for internships? Do you know any like hacks or tactics that would help? I think the big thing is taking your time with it 
Um, and whether that is through things like, and we'll get into this in a, in a moment, but with whether it's things with courses or building a project or doing an internship, um, it can, you know, today it can feel like almost pressure for a lot of people to create a career and like, oh, I need to get started now. Like, and a lot of people, you know, they, they tend to compare themselves with, they see other people on social media and stuff like this and like, oh, I have to get started. I have to like land an internship and I need to build these things. And you know, when you rush like that, um, you lose a lot of the ability to truly learn these concepts and to create things that, again, create things that you're passionate about. When I started and I was building Amity um, and I was, you know, in the community, I had no intention of ever getting a career out of it. I didn't even know that I would be in this position today. Um, I was just building it because I thought it was something cool and, you know, I had nothing else to do. So I, I just enjoyed it, right? And I, you know, some days I spent uh, 30 minutes on it. Some days I spent eight hours on it. Um, I just did it as I wanted to, right? And this is a big part of, of like healthily learning in Web3 and starting a career, right? It's, of course, do things like engage with people like we've been talking about, networking with people, building a project that you're passionate about, um, taking courses if you want. You know, we, we uh, just recently announced a partnership with LearnWeb3DAO, which is an incredible organization doing some really great stuff uh, teaching developers. Um, you know, whether it's stuff like that, you know, whatever it may be, taking your time with it and being as methodical as possible, right? Not overdoing yourself, not uh, feeling pressure to reach a certain goal or whatever. Um, that's that's how you, you, you know, win the race in Web3. It's, it's doing things that you want to do. And that's really, really important, right? Do what you want. Don't, if you don't want to do it, then you know, don't do it. Um, it's that's as simple as that when you're creating a career, because if you're forcing yourself to do things that you're not happy about or that you don't find personal value in, right? If you don't think it's valuable to create applications then don't do it, if you don't think it's valuable to create content, then don't do it. Find something else that fits your skill set and your interests. Because once you do that, once you find a role and once you find a project and a course or whatever that truly interests you and motivates you to work and create things, um, that's when you'll be really successful and it'll be natural. It won't even be like, oh, I have to, to do this much and I have to like uh, work this hard. It'll just be like you enjoy doing it and that's that's what comes out of it eventually as a career. And I think when you're, especially when you're young getting into this, that's the number one thing to think about, right? If you're in Web3 and it's not for you, then it's not for you. There's a million industries, of course, that, that you can go into. And I think if you enjoy Web3, maybe DevRel's for you, maybe just pure software engineering is for you maybe product development maybe it's community management maybe it's uh, hosting a podcast maybe it's writing a newsletter uh, like whatever it is i think the number one thing most the number one most important thing most important like piece of advice that i can personally give is to find a component of web3 that excites you and then do that and if you can spend time on that and then of course through that medium right if that medium is development then take courses like learn web3 now go learn that. If you're really interested in community development, then go learn from individuals, right? Talk to people, engage with the community, learn that naturally. If you really want to develop your own startup, then start creating a personal application, right? Start creating a project. I mean, it, find a path of learning that works for the vertical within Web3 that makes you happy and that makes you excited. If you can find these things, if you can find number one, the vertical that you're passionate about, and number two, content and learning in a, a an educational path that guides you through that vertical then by the end of it after a year after two years you'll be in a really great position to start a career um, at that point hopefully you would have in, uh, networked with enough people and created enough stuff just naturally through 
motivation to use as a, as a launching point into a career, whether that first step is an internship potentially, maybe it is. I know there's a lot of people like Avalanche, for example, is doing DevRel internships right now, or whether it's an entry level role, like that's what it was for me. It was very much just like, let's see how it goes, whatever, right? Maybe it's, it's starting your own company. This is what a lot of people do. Maybe it's your own startup, your own big project that you're going into full time. Whatever that first career step is for you, it should be backed with time of finding that vertical and uh, learning within that vertical. And once you've achieved these things, you'll be set up for a career essentially. And that's, that's at least my experience. If we were to get a bit more specific with sources of like learning and education, what would you say is like some underrated channel or source or uh, where you're getting new, new information or learning from is that, I mean, I think Twitter is over and maybe overrated to some extent, but uh, do you spend a lot of time on Discord, Twitter, uh, I don't know, YouTube videos, Reddit, maybe there are some niche communities that no one ever heard of that are underrated. Give us, give us some alpha. <laughs> Yeah, I love Discord. Discord is, um, I'm on there just as much as I'm, I'm probably on Twitter a little bit too much, maybe <laughs> at an unhealthy level. Um, but Discord is also a really great resource for people. There's a million Discord communities. And the great thing about Discord is, you know, Twitter, it's a little bit different. It's like a message board almost. It's like, you know, you tweet and you reply to people and it's not as personal in terms of messaging and stuff like this. So when you go to Discord, you're in a chat room and everybody's chatting in the same line and it's an incredible environment for learning, right? So I'm in the Crypto Devs Discord a lot. I'm in the Learn, learn what period discord a lot of course we have the chainstack discord which is fantastic for um, if you want to go in there and ask any questions about infrastructure or development or even like devrel and stuff like that um, we have a team of over 70 people that are already uh, web3 professionals i would love to help you out with that um, but finding communities that of course fit with you right so whether it's the chainstack discord or whether it's learn what Dow or crypto devs is another good one that i mentioned um you know, there's a few other communities that I love, like MTopSwap, a bunch of other guys, Solana Collective for Solana people, uh, Lamport DAO. I mean, I'm just throwing off names here that I visit on a daily basis. You know, finding a community of people that you resonate with and that share the same vision as you is a really great way to learn, right? Because a lot of a lot of times, like I mentioned, is learning from people is a great way to kickstart knowledge that you would have never gotten from a course, right? Because everybody has a different experience. Everybody has a different level of understanding of the space. And understanding this variety of perspective is really important. So that's why Discord is important. And of course, Twitter is a way to do that too. Twitter can be a little bit difficult sometimes. It can be saturated with uh, engagement farming and stuff, which can sometimes convolute like, you know, your path of learning. But, you know, Learn Web3 DAO is a fantastic website. Crypto Zombies is really cool for like solidity stuff. Mm -hmm. Of course, if you are looking to development exclusively, we have a chain stack we've been working really hard recently, our developer experience team, on creating technical content and educational content for people. Um, it, with we call this our Web3 Decoded series, where you can learn subgraph development, you can learn all, like based on a bunch of protocols, Solana, Ethereum, Binance Smart Chain, etc. So go to you can always go to chainsight.com and head over to our Web3 Decoded series, and that's another really great place that not a lot of people know about right now to learn technical concepts. We also have our blog posts, which we cover tons of stuff. Like recently, we've been posting some stuff about cryptocurrency wallets, and you know, there's the amount of educational material in Web3 can be overwhelming sometimes because there's so much of it, right? Everyone has some sort of educational content usually. What's important is finding the content that resonates with you. It's not all of it will, most of it won't, right? A lot of the time, if you if you go through a piece of educational content, you come out of it thinking like, I don't have no idea what I just watched, I don't know what just happened, then you should probably go find a different method of content delivery or whatever. So it's about finding things that fit with your content preference, right? And doing this through whether it be Discord communities or 
just looking on your Twitter feed or whatever. It's about finding what fits for you. My personal favorites, so of course, are going to be Discord and Twitter and things like our Web3 Decoder series and whatnot. You, you mentioned you joined uh, the industry, or at least you joined Chainstack in 20, 2020, right? 2022. 2022, okay, even more recent. Right. Do you feel anything changed in kind of the job landscape? Do you think it's easier to get jobs right now or is it easier to get started or not? What's your take on like the overall ecosystem right now? Yes, yeah, so, you know, when I joined Chainstack in 2022, of course, I was, you know, two years after that path of like learning and, some, you know, what we've been talking about. After I joined, you know, when I first joined, that was right after like the market started turning down and everybody was scared about a recession and like we were just starting to finally like get over the pandemic and everything. And it's kind of a weird time, like economically. And we've seen that, unfortunately, not go up much since then, since kind of June of 2022, you know, up to up to now, which has been a, a little over a year. You know, we're still seeing a little bit of a downturn in the job market. I do know that there was a report recently that came out from Crypto Jobs is actually, that showed a pretty decent uptick recently, uh, which I was happy to see. I think that we're starting to see a little bit of a turnaround here in these coming months. But at least recently over the past like six months, 12 months, the job market hasn't been great. But again, I think this is just naturally a result of like the bear market and like less funding being in the space. So right now and of course you know as soon as a bull market comes you're going to see a 10x increase in job postings and everybody's going to want to hire people which will be great because everybody that's in the space right now um, has the opportunity to start building the skills and building a career to be ready for that i think the web3 job, job ecosystem is really interesting because of course it takes that same approach that devrel does and that it's open to anybody that can prove that they know something and that they can provide value to something this is like at the core of web3 values right it's like open and permissionless. Jobs are in a lot of way the same same way. Prove that you could be trusted almost to use like a blockchain term and prove that you have skills and you can contribute in that way. If you can generate skills now, you'll be ready for that. And I think that hopefully over the next the next 12 months from now, maybe, you know, June 2024, hopefully we'll see, we'll be in a much different place than we are today. But you know, if you're ready to start applying for jobs, I wouldn't say don't. Um, I think definitely that's still an environment right now. You know, I, get, I see job postings all the time. Crypto Jobs has a fantastic selection of jobs right now. <laughs> Thanks for the um, shout there's out. Some really great, <laughs> yeah, there's some awesome positions over there, some really cool companies hiring. So if you guys are ready for that, and you've maybe you spent the, the last uh, you know little time, little amount of time building up these skills, um, then definitely start applying. And, and of course, Crypto Jobs is probably the place to do that. As you start, maybe you're not ready. And if you aren't, then now's the time to start investing yourself and betting that you will be ready in the next few years as the job market specifically starts to tick back up as the industry as a whole does. I think earlier you mentioned something along the lines that it might take a few times or a few times for you to figure out what's your fit in the industry or fit within DevRel more specifically. Maybe can you elaborate a little bit more on that? Yeah, you know, I've worked with a lot of DevRels in the past. Um, you know, when I was uh, promoted to DevRel lead about six months ago, there's a few people under me and I've seen them uh, moved to different companies. Some of them have even gone to like Ava Labs and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. I see that you know because of the dynamic nature of DevRel and really most roles in Web3, it'll look very different depending on the organization that you go to. Because of that dynamic nature, it's important to find a company that fits your values. And again, it all comes down to the source of like being motivated to work every day in, in Web3. If you aren't motivated by the people around you, if you aren't motiv motivated by your job function, you're going to find it very difficult to grow. So that's why it's important to find a fit for you, right? If you're in DevRel, and that's especially important, right? Finding a company that shares the same values that you do, finding a product that you're passionate about as a developer, right? So like for me, you know, uh, the reason why I've been a change for so long is because I'm very excited about the product. I think that we're providing real value to developers through highly affordable infrastructure, um, highly performant infrastructure. And I think that developers are, are really enjoying this, but you need to find a product like that that fits for you, right? Maybe you're really passionate about DeFi. I've seen a lot of uh, DevRels from Balancer recently. Maybe you're really passionate about protocols like Avalanche and then you go to a place like Avalanche, right? And 
on top of the technology itself, of course, the team needs to enable you to do what you enjoy and to have this balance within the industry, being able to continue your growth, being empowered by the company that you, you know, you're working at to grow. Every, every dev role is gonna be different, right? We're all working the same function. Uh, every dev role is different in terms of what they want out of the role, what they wanna to contribute to the community and what they're able to contribute to the community. So it's really important to find an organization that fits those needs. And of course, you know, part of this can be done through interviewing and just like working at a place for a certain amount of time. But you know, once as a dev role, you know, once you find a fit for you, once you find an organization that you're happy with and that you're, you feel passionate about, again, it all comes down, like I said, to that motivation piece and then you'll grow much faster than if you're stuck in an organization that maybe you don't feel as strongly about it's really important to find that fit for for your own personal growth and your career i think he, I, i've been scrolling linkedin quite a bit recently and i you know i've been following you for for a few weeks now not longer than that you post you do post a lot of video content right and like some interview interviews and you've done this a few times before what would you say is there any significance to doing video content pros cons of doing it some people are either video shy or they think so i don't think it's a thing did video open any doors for you that I think otherwise it would have been closed. Yeah, I mean, I love video content. I think video content is really, it's much more engaging. I love Twitter spaces. I've done hundreds of Twitter spaces. I've probably almost 200 Twitter spaces now since I started uh, a year ago. But I think video content just approaches a whole different level of like direct engagement, right? Being able to attach a face to a name, especially in like the anonymous world of Web3, right? Being able to see somebody and talk about their concepts and have that different level of like communication. I think it's it's game changing, especially when you're conveying complicated concepts. Like, you know, I've done probably close to seven or eight big video interviews over the last year. So, you know, I, I started with a few when I first started, and, and just even over the past few weeks, I've done two or three. Um, and you know, these are, are really great ways to engage with people. And when you're explaining a tough concepts like Web3 infrastructure and data indexing and stuff like this, um, having that additional context of the video can be a game changer for that type of understanding, right? Being able to really take in a concept can, it could be a lot easier when you're looking at somebody and watching them explain something. Um, so I think that video content, and I, I post even like non-webcam video content all the time. You know, I do. Um, recently, I've been really enjoying making these, uh, like do like build X in X amount of time, right? So I did one. It was build subgraph in five minutes, or deploy mm -hmm. a subgraph in sixty seconds, and launch a Solana SPL token in two minutes, right? I think these are also really great because, of course, videos allow for something that, uh, you know articles can't, right? Which is where you can watch somebody do something. In this case, it's development stuff. You can watch somebody create a subgraph and you can follow along and listen to the commentary and the text on screen. And it just allows for a much more engaging way of learning things, in my opinion, at least from uh, everybody's learning style is different, but I really like videos and uh, I'm always very happy to, to do video interviews and create video content. Um, I think it's a really engaging me uh, content medium. Jonathan Web3, do you think there is an issue with global Web3 adoption? And do you think Web3 will completely replace Web2 in the future? I think that you know Web3 is an interesting medium. And I, I was talking on a thread about this not too long ago, but it's like right now, the definition of Web3 is really loose. It's like Web3 doesn't have a straight definition, in my opinion. Mm -hmm. um, you know, Web3 right now is Web2.5, essentially. Web3 depends on Web2 infrastructure. Right now, we're talking on Twitter space. It's a Web2 application. Um, you know, in the video interview, we're using Riverside on Google Chrome, on mm -hmm. a Windows computer. These are all Web2 applications, right? We, we rely on Web2 infrastructure to interact with Web3. So I think that necessarily transitioning from Web2 to Web3, I don't know what that would look like necessarily. I think what we'll see instead is that over the next few years, we'll start to see further adoption of Web3 products through Web2 means, right? So we'll see more people creating crypto wallets or doing whatever, you know, new adoption technique we create by then. 
um, to interact with decentralized systems. And I think most of that will be abstracted behind different layers. But I think generally right now, Web3 is in a place where it's not user-friendly for most people, right? I mean, if you put a Web3, if you put MetaMask and dApps in front of a 75-year-old that can barely use Facebook, I mean, it's it's never going to happen. So it's we need to get Web3 into a place where it's user-friendly for people that aren't super technically proficient, which is most people, to be completely honest. So, you know, it, right now, Web3 is in a place where there's a huge barrier to entry for the majority of just tech consumers. So I think over the next few years, my expectation is that not only will the technology increase in quality, not only will we have more innovative solutions, more utility within the space, but we'll also see a lot of solutions that focus on abstracting blockchain layers um, behind, like, uh, you know, UX uh, usability, right? So hopefully we'll have applications in the future that allow you to interact with Web3. And the idea is that you probably won't even know that you're interacting with Web3 in a lot of cases, right? Web3 will enhance behind a lot of Web2 applications. We'll see um, games powered by Web3 backends that enables you know, non-fungible in-game assets, like tradable stuff or in-game tokens. Or I mean, you know, there's a million solutions or like uh, supply chain stuff and healthcare stuff. I mean, you can go on forever, like potential solutions and all these things would be abstracted behind multiple layers of usability um, to the point where most people won't even know that they're using a blockchain. It will just be integrated there and the utility of blockchain will be integrated globally without everybody owning a MetaMask wallet. I don't see that as a realistic path to adoption. Um, I think the more common thing is that people will use Web3 through Web2 systems as we do today, but just through a far more abstracted layer that makes it a lot easier to use. And I think that's how we'll approach mainstream adoption in the future. At least I hope so, of course, who knows what will happen. A good one, very, very controversial, I, I would think. Do you think builders should focus on what they really want to build or put the users, to put the users in front and center by building something they really need? It's another interesting balance. You know, a lot of the developers uh, struggle with that in terms of like creating applications that are easy to use, but they also that they're pressured about. I think generally it's like what happens most of the time is that when you're building things and you know, a big misconception is like in Web3 when you build an application like that's it. You know, usually if you build a good application it turns into a company and then people build on that and they improve it and stuff like this. But I think what's important is if you're building as an individual, definitely focus on what you want to build. Don't think too much about like, well, I wonder if people would find this useful or I wonder if this and this. Because like we've been mentioning, what's more important than anything at this stage in development is building something that you are personally passionate about, right? Like recently I submitted my first patent uh, oh, not too long ago, and it was for um, biometric Web3 technology. I can't get into too much about you know what that looks like practically, but essentially it, it enabled biometric interaction with Web3. And as I was building it, I was like, I just think this is a cool thing that I want to build. I wasn't thinking anything about like the potential adoption of it. I was just thinking like, you know, I'm enjoying building this right now. And then once I built it, I realized this is a, a decent idea in terms of potential usage. So I patented it and I did all that stuff. But what's important is that once you build something that you're passionate about, that can later be implemented into more user-centric applications, right? So if you build, in my case, a biometric interactivity technology that I was passionate about, right? It's not usable at all right now. Um, nobody would ever use it because it's just an application on my computer, basically. But at some point, if I wanted to run with it and I actually wanted to push for that to be adopted, then I could go through the means of creating an application and running it through more people and making it more user-friendly. Same thing goes with things, any Web3 application that you're building, right? If it's a wallet or if it's uh, whatever, right? If you're building a Web3 application, First, focus on what you want to build. And then if you want to, by the time you, you're finished building that, if you want to push that to actual adoption, if you want to create a company out of it, or if you want to create a patent out of it or whatever, that's when you can focus on creating something that's more usable. So focus on what you want to build now and then think about the users later. It might not be a, a great piece of advice for in-production developers, but when you're learning, that's, it's really important to create something that first and foremost you want to create. 
um, rather than what you think people want from you. Yeah, I, w I would add here, I think in the beginning, 100%, you know, solve your own problem, follow your own passion, especially when you're learning. I think later on, when you have a little bit more established company and you're getting some traction, I think that's when you do want to listen to your users a bit more rather than following your own ego, or especially when you're in a company working for someone, you definitely want to better understand what is that ultimate goal? What does the user actually want? Because user is the one who is ultimately paying your salary. <laughs> or funding your company. It's better be user rather than VCs. Isaac Havertz is asking, is it possible to join Web3 without Web2 knowledge? 100%. Um, you know, when I first joined Web3 a few years ago, I, I mean, you know, I, I knew Python and like basic JavaScript, but, you know, I knew almost nothing. And Web3 was like my first journey into most of technology, to be completely honest. And you know, definitely you'll have a harder time getting started um, and somebody who is already completely proficient in Web 2 development, because a lot of Web 3 development is Web 2 development at the end of the day. But I think generally, you 100% can. It just would be a longer journey, right? Same thing with, like with me. It took me years before I was in a place where I considered myself uh, technically apt in any way. I actually had this question asked to me um, on Discord not too long ago, where somebody said, you know, what should I learn in Web 2 before I graduate to, to learning Web 3? My piece of advice was that, you know, most skills that you learn in Web 2 can be directly translated to Web 3. Right? So if you're learning Python, if you're learning how to create applications in Python. If you're learning JavaScript, if you're learning HTML, if you're learning CSS, uh, React, I mean, whatever. These are all things that can be translated directly to Web3. Um, because like I said, Web3 depends on Web2 infrastructure. So if you know and understand Web2 infrastructure, then you can much better understand Web3. So before you commit to learning Web3 development, it's really important to nail down those Web2 foundations first. So understanding those programming languages, understanding network frameworks and how this all fits together on a Web2 side. So you can then take that knowledge and apply it to Web3. It'll be a longer journey, a longer learning path than somebody who already knows. But I think, you know, at least from my experience, people who learn all of that at once usually retain it a lot better than somebody who's been working in Web2 for a long time. And hopefully by the end of it, um, you'll come out being uh, pretty proficient in both Web3 and Web2. Another quite similar question. Uh, I'm a Web2 developer for eight, nine years. Uh, and in the last year, I've been trying to move to Web3. But for now, I, as far as I understand from the tweet, they're not a full-time dev in Web3 just yet. I think they're just exploring on their own. But a majority of job descriptions in Web3 are not, not for juniors. Should, should they still apply? As far as I understood, that's what the person that was Andre is asking. Yeah, I mean, I think... What's important, what's most important is that you're, you should be confident in your abilities, right? If you aren't confident in your ability to do something, then maybe don't apply for at least like high level positions, right? Don't apply for a manager position if you aren't confident in your ability to, to navigate Web3. Uh, but I think that's the perfect opportunity. Being a Web2 developer for a long time puts you in a great position to very quickly pick up Web3 if, if you're, you dedicate yourself to that. Um, I can guarantee, you know, as somebody with Web2 experience, you could probably find an internship in Web3. There's a few flying around right now. Somebody that's willing to teach you the, the ropes of how this industry works. If, if you can't find that, then learning it yourself is always a really great path, right? So you said you've been there for, you've been here for about a year. You know, take the next six, 12 months and continue engaging with the community. You're doing something great by you know being in a space like this right now. Of course, you're obviously engaged with the community. Build a project like we've been mentioning. What I usually like to say is that the best way to learn Web3 development is uh, trial by fire, right? So it's, it's, um, throwing yourself into the flames web three and just like figuring it out as you get there right it's like uh, riding a bike and you gotta keep falling on the bike until eventually you figure out how to balance yourself on it same idea with web development 
It's just, you know, start building something, even if you have no idea how to build any of it, if you, even if you don't even know how to like send a transaction programmatically in Web3, then it's like, well, whatever, you know, figure it out as you, as you go on and then just move through a project and move through different courses and stuff and learn as you go. And then once you're confident with your abilities, right? Once you're confident in your ability to develop up three applications um, and navigate the space in that way, in that technical way, um, that's when you can start applying to entry-level positions or higher-level positions, or before then, if you want, uh, internships are a really great way to learn some similar skills in a more professional environment. Okay, one last question from Shivam. Or Shivam, do you want to speak up? I think it's a very good question that you that he commented. Of course, I thought I'd, I'd write it first. Um, so, Ethan, big fan, by the way. Um, quick, quick question around cold emailing. Um, so... I, and me and Roman have had a discussion around this uh, uh, earlier as well, which is um, what are your thoughts around cold emailing to find opportunities in Web3? That's kind of one. Second part would be uh, if if there's a newbie they're trying to get into Web3, uh, what should they include in, in their cold email if they're sending it to somebody like you? So kind of you can also explore uh, general Web3 as well as DevRel specific tips if you want. Sure, yeah. I think cold emails or I guess just cold outreach in general, like to be honest, I don't really respond to emails very often, but like, you know, Twitter messages and, and any any way in which you're reaching out to somebody, whether it's through an email or through Discord messages or Twitter messages that is unprompted. Like you mentioned, if you want to do that as a means of creating opportunities for yourself, which is a good way, depending on who you reach out to, there's a way to go about it to go about it without seeming spammy or seeming like you're trying to scam somebody and, you know i get i get a lot of messages and i probably respond to 65 percent of them and the rest of them i, I don't find convincing enough to to warrant a, a response usually I, so a lot of the time they, they seem like spam so i think the best way to cold email somebody or reach out to them with the intention of creating opportunity for yourself so whether you are looking for something like an internship or you just want advice or you just want to build a relationship with somebody or learn from them or whatever maybe um doing so genuinely right is really important so like reaching out and just telling them what you want just saying you know uh hey i'm looking for you know i've been spending the last three years in web3 i really want to start an internship and learn about devrel right uh, do you have any recommendations on where I can go? Stuff like that. These are really powerful ways that not everybody will respond to. You'll probably get 20% of responses, so that's just how people are. But what's important is that one person that does respond to you and says yes, right? Or even like if you're not looking for an internship, if you're just looking for like opportunities or to learn, a lot of people are happy to talk about themselves. Um, of course, this is what people like to do a lot. So messaging people and asking them questions about themselves or about their experience or whatever it may be, these are ways to engage with people and you'll get a really high response rate from that. And, you know, I, I call that rich people a decent amount of time just to connect and chat. And the number one way to do it is to be genuine and to just talk to them as if you, you're talking to a friend almost, right? Um, you're like asking for a favor almost. I see a lot of people that want jobs and want internships and reach out um, in ways that seem ingenuine, seem spammy. I see all the time people message me or put messages in public chats and they're like, putting their whole resume there and saying, oh, I can do this and this and this. And don't do that. At least that's my, my, my advice is don't do that. If you want something from somebody, whether it's to discover an internship or whether it's to um, learn something from them, be as genuine as you can with your with your message. And um, a lot of people will respond and that's how you can derive value that way. It's just, you know, talk to people as if you were talking to them in real life, I think is probably the best way to go about it. Thanks so much everyone for the questions. This was really good. And thank you, Ethan, most of all, uh, for, for your time and answering all the questions that, that we had today. This was really good. Any closing thoughts? Where can people find you? Is Twitter the best? Is LinkedIn better? Email, Chainstack? What's the best approach to connect with you? Yeah, so I guess uh, a few things on that. Um, number one, if you're in here and you're a developer and you want to leverage high quality and uh, extremely affordable Web3 infrastructure, so these are things like RPC nodes and subgraphs and data APIs and 
uh, IPFS and stuff like this, if you want to supercharge your applications, um, then you can go to chainsec.com and you can sign up for, for free and start leveraging uh, really high performance RBC nodes straight from there. Um, you can also, of course, follow our company account at chainsec.hq. Um, we post content there all the time where we talk about Web3 infrastructure, the development landscape, and we do Twitter spaces almost every single week over there where we talk about the same topics. Very developer-facing stuff. So if you're a developer, make sure to follow us over there as well as check out chainsec.com for all of your application infrastructure. Um, on my end, I do a lot of similar discussions. I do a lot of technical concepts. I post videos and Twitter threads every single week that go into uh, development concepts. So things like subgraphs and RPC nodes and creating applications and um, you know different ecosystems like Solana and, and Ethereum and stuff like this. Um, so if you want to follow me and follow what I'm doing, you can also follow me at Tabasco Web3. I'm here in the space. Um, I post a lot of content, including stuff about careers, um, you know, from my sort of unique position. Um, I'm always interested in talking about that as well. So um, if you're a developer, if you're on the technical side, make sure you go to chainsec.com, at chainsec.hq, follow me at Tabasco Web3, as well as if you are just a general uh, user of Web3, if you do business development, maybe non-technical stuff, then also feel free to, to reach out to me or follow me here at Tabasco Web3. I'm always happy to support those people as well. Um, yeah, really, I appreciate you guys having me on today. I think this was a super valuable conversation. We covered a ton of really important topics as it relates to DevRel, um, you know, Web3, the ecosystem, the direction that it's going into, how you can start with a career, how developers can take advantage of the current landscape to create applications um, and set themselves up for the next bull run. So um, like I said, super awesome discussion. And thank you, everybody, for your questions. And um, thank you guys for having me on today. Thank you so much, Ethan. It was an absolute pleasure having you as a guest. Some closing thoughts from, from my end. Make sure to follow Crypto Jobs as well. We post jobs every day from all around the world, remote, technical, non-technical opportunities. About the Twitter space itself, we try to do this every other week, and we're going to be do, recording them in video as well. So we're going to be posting this uh, recording on YouTube, I think, in a week or so. Please follow both our Twitter account and our YouTube we're going to be posting more frequent content there. Again, about different topics, anywhere from technical to non-technical, finding jobs in the industry. And most importantly, please comment below what questions that came to your mind while watching this interview. It's really important to us and we'll be able to answer them as soon as we can. And this also helps us come up with better, high quality, more interesting content that you guys would like watching. Yeah, also, don't forget to like and subscribe.